As we were walking through uh, the sermon series entitled Christmas at the Movies, we've looked at a comedy in Home Alone as the springboard into our Christmas message. And we've also looked at a classic, It's a Wonderful Life, a few weeks ago. And now I want to look at a children's story by Dr. Seuss entitled How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now a few things you may not know about this story. Some writers, including Dr. Seuss himself, have made a connection between the Grinch and Dr. Seuss. In the story, the Grinch laments that he has to put up with the Who's celebration of Christmas for 53 years. And Dr. Seuss was 53 when he wrote and published the book. Dr. Seuss himself asserted the connection in an article in the December 1957 edition of Red Book when he said, I was brushing my teeth on the morning of the 26th of last December when I noticed a very Grinchish countenance in the mirror. So I wrote about my sour friend, the Grinch, to see if I could rediscover something about Christmas that obviously I'd lost. See, the Grinch, the story of the Grinch, uh, first appeared in a 32-line illustrated poem by Dr. Seuss called The Hubub and the Grinch which was originally published in May 1955, the May 1955 edition of Red Book Magazine. And then Dr. Seuss began to work on How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the, the storybook, a couple years later, around the beginning of 1957. And the book debuted in December 1957 in both a book version published by Random House and an issue of Red Book. The book has been adapted in a variety of media formats, including stage and film, Many of us know about the How the Grinch Stole Christmas cartoon, right? This is one we, well, most of us know about anyway. Chuck Jones adapted the story by Dr. Seuss uh, into an animated special in 1966, featuring the narration by Boris Karloff, who also provided the Grinch's voice. We also familiar with this story uh, because of Thurl Ravenscroft's uh, rendition of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch with lyrics written by Dr. Seuss himself. And then, for some of you young whippersnappers, in 2000, the year 2000, the book was adapted into a live-action film directed by Ron Howard, starring Jim Carrey as the Grinch. And so whether it was through the book, or through the cartoon, or through the movie, we all know about the Grinch, right? We all know about this story. And the storyline is a pretty simple one. It's about the Grinch that lives on Mount Crumpet, above the little town of Whoville. And the Grinch despises Christmas and all the celebration that goes along with it, and he devises a plan to steal Christmas. That's the point of the book. That's the plan. So he dresses up like Santa Claus. He crafts this big sleigh, looks like Santa's sleigh, attaches it to his dog, Max, small dog, with a singular antler fixed to his head. And his plan is to, I'm gonna, he says, I'm going to go down into Whoville. I'm going to just take everything associated with Christmas. I'm going to take the, the boxes, the bags, the ribbons, the tags, the bows, the Christmas tree, uh, all the presents. I'm going to take all the food. Yes, even the roast beast. You know, he's going to take it all. And uh, he is going to steal Christmas and everything associated with it so that when the Who's wake up on Christmas morning... There will be no Christmas, there will be no celebration, and the Grinch can live in peace and quiet on Mount Crumpet. 
But you know, the, the Grinch, this whole story about stealing Christmas, this wasn't the first time someone conspired to steal Christmas. You know, ever since the Christ child was born, there's been a conspiracy to steal Christmas, to take the Christ out of Christmas. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that we normally probably wouldn't associate with Christmas. But it's found in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And what this passage is going to show us is that this conspiracy to steal Christmas is beyond the Grinch. It's beyond Dr. Seuss's imagination. And there's actually a conspiracy going on. And it was actually the architect. The architect for this conspiracy is someone much greater, much more powerful. And unlike the Grinch, he actually exists. And he would love to steal Christmas. And so look with me at Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Apostle John writes these words. He says, And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now the book of Revelation is full of symbolic language. And I'm going to do my best to walk through some of that language here in this short passage. This symbolism that we see in verse 1, many believe to be a description of the people of God, Israel. Israel is characterized by this woman And the twelve stars will be the twelve patriarchs or the tribes that have descended from them. Then verse 2 we read, She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And the idea here is you have the, the people of God giving birth to the Messiah. The one who would be the deliverer. The one who would bring in the kingdom of God. Then in verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. The great red dragon is a symbol for Satan. The seven heads may be a symbol of the vitality of evil. You know, think of the, uh, the fictional character Hydra. You know, you have the seven heads, so one head will pop up over here, you try to put it down, and then another head will pop up over here. So evil is not easily extinguished. The ten horns, a horn represents strength. The ten horns represent the strength of the great dragon. And the seven diadems symbolize the dragon's leadership and rule. Verse 4, it says, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And what we see here is that the dragon's influence is felt not only in the spiritual realm, but his influence also, his action, there are repercussions to his action even here on earth. And it says, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. The dragon wanted to steal Christmas. Verse 5, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So what we see in this passage is Satan is the architect of the effort to steal Christmas. Now the question is, well, how does he do it? 
Well, just think back through the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, and think about how Christmas was threatened. How, how, who, who was behind? Who was actually active in trying to steal Christmas? And you may remember the account of King Herod. When he heard about the birth of Jesus from the wise men, this, this account is recorded in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew. And Herod, filled with fear and fear of losing his position and power, commanded that all male children two years old and under in the town of Bethlehem and the surrounding area should be killed in order to stop Christmas from coming, to steal Christmas, to kill the Christ. Now thankfully, before Herod had time to implement his massacre, an angel appeared to Joseph and told him to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt, which he did. But Herod wasn't the only one the great dragon sought to use. In Matthew 4, we read about the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness. When the red dragon, the devil himself, sought to cause Jesus to disobey God, just like the devil did with Adam. To take him off the path, to redirect him from following God's will. And he knew that if he could take Jesus off that path, he could steal Christmas. Thankfully, Jesus clung to the Word of God and he did not waver. But this was not the end of the threat. Even the religious leaders, you think back to the Gospels, even the religious leaders did not understand God's redemptive purposes through Christ. And so they would encounter Christ on a number of occasions, some of them would, and they would seek to catch Jesus in a trap, or they would even just flat out seek to kill Him. They were trying to steal Christmas, stop it from coming. And then one of the most surprising accounts, because those accounts, you probably can't relate to those, right? I mean, you're thinking, when have I ever tried to do that? When have I tried to steal Christmas by taking Christ out of Christmas, take the focus off Christ maliciously. You know, most of you probably have never done that. But see if this account would hit maybe a little closer to home. In one of the most surprising accounts we read in the, in the Gospels, we read about a conversation between Jesus and Peter in Matthew 16, verses 21 and 23. Listen to what Matthew records, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So Jesus has given His followers a glimpse that this is what has to happen for God's redemptive purposes to go forward. That is, Jesus must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer. He must die. He must be buried. And then He must be raised from the dead. Then Peter, out of what we would consider to be good motives, tells Jesus that he will do whatever it takes to keep Jesus from dying. Right? Good motives. I doubt Peter's thinking, I want to just, you know what I want to do? I want to uh, thwart the plan of God. (laughs) Peter's not thinking that. But he's thinking, this isn't the way things should be, so I'm not going to do that. So he doesn't, he doesn't have bad intentions, but what he does is actually in line with those that do. Namely, the great red dragon. And so, you may remember what Peter said here in verse 22. And Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside, which is an interesting uh, scene if you think about it. 
Peter takes Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Do you remember what Peter said? I mean, Jesus said to Peter, look at verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. That's kind of strong. (laughs) Strong language. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So you have... Herod, you have the devil himself, you have the religious leaders of the day, some of them, and then you even have some of his followers, namely Peter. The motives are different, but what they were trying to do was the same, and that is keep Christ from going to the cross. They're trying to steal Christmas, because think about it. If there is no cross, there is no Christmas. So without even realizing realizing it, Peter was trying to steal Christmas, he's trying to stop God's plan of redemption. But we all know Jesus came to die. That's why he came. He was born to die. He, he, was, he, was, he was born to be a ransom for you and for me. And this is what Christmas is all about. Now, did, have you ever thought about where did the word Christmas comes from? Where does it come from? Well, it's actually two words. The first word, Christ, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And the second word, Mass or Mass is the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so when you put them together, you have a word meaning the celebration of the redemptive work of Christ. It's the Christ Mass. It's the Christmas. It's all about the redemptive purpose of God wrapped up in this person, Jesus Christ. It's his birth, his death, his resurrection. And this is what the evil one tried to steal but was unable to do so. He couldn't do it. Christ was born, he lived, he died, he was buried, he was raised. And so now what? If the devil cannot stop that plan from going forward, what is the strategy now? What do you do? You can't steal Christmas by stopping Christ. He accomplished the work of God. So now what do you do? I think part of the plan now, part of the game plan is to not stop Christ, but just to seek to maybe take Christ out of Christmas. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about simply someone saying, you know, Happy Holidays versus Merry Christmas. Okay, I'm I'm talking about something a little bit deeper than just the exchanging of some term or some pleasantry. I'm talking about something a little more fundamental than that. I'm talking about the removal of Christ as the object of our worship. This is what it means to take Christ out of Christmas. It's removing Christ as the object of our worship. This is the game plan, I think, of of the evil one today. And I'm not talking about even taking Christ out of the month of December. (laughs) Even though that can happen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taking Christ the whole year long. Removing Him as the object of our worship. I'm talking about the redirection of our hearts. Because see, here's the way I like to think about it. Maybe this will help you as well. Our hearts are like cars out of alignment. Have you ever driven your car when it was out of alignment? Okay. I used to have this 1980 Ford Bronco with a 9-inch lift kit and 36-inch tires. (laughs) 
sometimes it would get out of alignment. And when that big machine got out of alignment, I mean, you could, I mean, you were using some muscles to keep it straight, you know. You let go of it, the wheel, it's like, it just, just goes off the road. You got to stay on it, right? And obviously the newer cars are probably a little easier to keep straight. But anyway, when a car goes out of alignment, it's going to veer to the left or the right. Our hearts are like cars out of alignment, but the difference is there is no steering wheel. There is no steering wheel. So without Christ, your life is out of alignment and all you can do is veer to the left or right. But in Christ, we have been been given a steering wheel and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually direct our hearts to Christ, to follow Christ. That doesn't mean we always do it, but now we have the power to do it and we've been given the Enablement through the power of the Spirit and the tools that God has afforded to us to actually steer our hearts to Him. This is our condition. But the default mode of the heart is to veer to the right or left. And I think the strategy of the evil one today is to do just that. To steer our hearts to the left, to the right. And not allow us to move toward Christ this Christmas. So, if we want to keep our focus on Christ this Christmas and throughout the year, this means it's going to take some intentionality. You're actually going to have to grab the steering wheel by the power of the Spirit of God and move forward with Christ. Focus on Him. Worship Him. It's going to take intentionality. And so, in order to guard against the thieves that may seek to take our hands off the wheel... And steal Christmas. I want to share with you four ways that we can just guard against these thieves. Guard against these influences that may shift us to the left or to the right. And these are ways that I've just found helpful in my own life. And maybe you'll find helpful in yours as well. These are ways that just help us to keep our focus on Jesus. To keep Christ in Christmas. But also keep Christ on the throne of our lives throughout the year. The first one is to gather with the church. You know, the church, with all her blemishes, and she's got some, and you know why she has blemishes? Because I have blemishes, <laughs> and you have blemishes. And then when you get all these blemished people together, guess what? The church has blemishes. So the church has blemishes, no doubt about it. But even so, the church is still one of the primary ways that God directs our hearts to Him. And so, if we, if we want to keep Christ in Christmas, if we want to direct our hearts to follow Him and to worship Him, we need to gather with the church. And I love that we get to gather this morning. And we get to come back and gather tonight for some wonderful music that, that will guide our hearts to Christ again. And then on Wednesday night, we get to gather again. You may say, well, Ron, why do you have to gather so much? And I would say, you know, just like a car gets out of alignment, you've got to realign. But cars are more stable than we are. (laughs) Because my heart, you know, a car, if you maybe hit a curb real hard, it might shake it out of alignment. But my heart, I can can step off this stage and in a moment, my heart can be readjusted to uh, my life before Christ or take my focus off Christ. So I need constant alignment. And I need help with that. And to gather with the church that helps me. And like I said earlier, I love the fact that we have a Christmas Eve service. 
And I love the fact that this year Christmas falls on a Sunday. And we get to come together to worship. Just to realign our hearts and to make it about Christ. It's all about Him. And to focus our hearts on Him. So, yes, the church has her blemishes, but but God is still using the church to direct our hearts to Him. The second way that you can guard against having Christ stolen from your Christmas season and, and all year long is to read the Christmas story. You know, when, uh, when C and I were married, uh, back even before we had children, this is something that we incorporated into our Christ, Christ, Christmas tradition. And that is just to read the account from Luke chapter 2 uh, you know, that talks about the birth of Jesus. And it's one that you may have read hundreds of times. But like I said, our hearts are fragile things that need constant reminders, constant alignment. And so even something as simple as including the reading of Luke chapter 2 into your family gatherings is a way to bring it back to Christ, to redirect our hearts to Christ. And we've continued that tradition ever since. A third way I think that that would help us to just direct our hearts to Christ is to sing Christmas songs, Christmas hymns and carols. Now, everybody listens to Christmas music for the most part, but there's a variety of Christmas music, right? There's Christmas music about just about anything. Snow and Santa Claus and reindeer and elves and all, all kind of things. And, and a lot of those songs are fun to listen to and, and whatnot. And I'm not saying don't listen to them. But what I am saying is I think what would help us keep our focus on Jesus is to incorporate into our playlist Christmas songs that are focused on Christ. And one of our great resources in our town that you may or may not be aware of is the radio station uh, WAFJ 88.3. They play Christmas music every season like this and then Christian music throughout the year. But they're playing Christmas music that is going to center around Christ. And I would just say, include that into your listening time. Your music is a powerful, wonderful tool to align our hearts to Christ. And I would say, use that to your advantage. Play songs that keep Christ in Christmas. And then fourthly, I would say, uh, another way that we can keep Christ in Christmas, and keep Christ as our focal point really all year long, is to give. Is to give of ourselves. You know, many people celebrate Christmas and give presents this time of year. Whether they're Christians or not. And people give for a variety of reasons. But the reasons we give, the main reason we give is because God gave. We give because God gave. God gave His Son for us. So that in Christ we can have forgiveness for our sin. And we we can receive new life in Christ. And as that new life is experienced more and more in our lives, we become givers. That is just what happens. We become givers. And the reason we give is because God gave. And we received. And now we want to give so that others receive. Not only presents, but also receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We give because God gave. And what's interesting about giving is as we seek to bless others by giving of ourselves, it helps us to more fully experience our joy in Christ. Because as we give, our joy is amplified in God because we are now imitating God. And as we imitate Him, our joy in Him is amplified. So these four things, uh, 
gathering with the church, reading the Christmas story, reading the Bible. It's a living document. It, it helps our hearts be aligned with His. Singing Christmas songs and hymns that keep Christ in Christmas, very helpful. And then giving. Giving because God gave. These are just four simple ways, and I'm sure there are others, but there are four simple ways to direct our hearts, to align our hearts to Christ and keep Christ in Christmas and keep Christ as the focus of our hearts throughout the year. You know, at the end of Seuss's story, if you remember, the Grinch is perched on Mount Crumpet. He has all the goods in his sleigh. And he's waiting for the Who's to wake up and find out that Christmas has been stolen. As he's waiting, he begins to hear the sound of singing. Dr. Seuss describes what happens next this way. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something He hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what I hope, my hope is for us, is that our gathering, our praying, our reading, our singing, our giving will help us and help others Realize that there's more to Christmas than ribbons and tags and boxes and bags. My hope is that our hearts will be directed to Christ this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, that is our hope. Lord, it is fun to celebrate and sing and decorate and um, to all the, the, the celebrations that come around this time of year and all the traditions and everything that we do, Lord. But help us to have our hearts aligned to the reason we celebrate. God, help us to keep Christ in our Christmas and keep Christ as our focus, not only in December, but throughout this year. Lord, help us by gathering with the church, by reading your word, use song, and Lord, help us to give. Help us to live out this faith so that others may be blessed and that they may receive 
the gift of your Son as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.